Morning, church. Weekend like this makes you grateful for air conditioning, doesn't it? I was uh, on Facebook earlier, and I saw that one of my pastor friends uh, chose this Sunday to have an outdoor worship service. <laughs> really glad I'm not there with them today. Well, during my college years, I bought a 1973 Dodge Charger with hood clamps and racing stripes that glowed in the dark. It didn't look like that one up there. My, mine was silver. But it was a great car if you needed to get someplace in a hurry. And I remember one night, it, it was late at night, I was coming home after a, a date with Melinda, and suddenly a, a car pulled up quickly behind me and, and began to tailgate me. Uh, one of the things about having a, a muscle car is that all the other guys with muscle cars want to challenge you from time to time. So I thought he was challenging me to a street race. In the past, I would have taken up the challenge, but I had recently become a Christian, and I thought racing through the streets of my hometown would not be a particularly good witness. And so I kept my cool. But when it followed me off the main drag and, and up my street, I began to grow a little apprehensive. And I pulled into my driveway, the car following me screeched to a halt. Uh, the driver jumped out and identified himself as a police officer. It seems that a convenience store had been robbed that night, and my car fit the description. It was an exciting couple of minutes. But now you have to understand that in my little hometown, everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew my father. Everybody knew me. No matter, my car fit the description. <laughs> and once he figured out that I was not the perp, he got back in his car and left. I, I had trouble going to sleep that night. But maybe at times you have felt unfairly judged because of the car you drive or the house you live in or the color of your skin or your politics or, or your religion, your country of origin. Or maybe sometimes you found you have been on the judging side of that. Well, if so, Jesus in our scripture today from the Sermon on the Mount gives us a little warning. I'm reading from Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 7, begin with verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this passage can be a little confusing. Uh, sometimes, perhaps, um, this passage is quoted uh, to forbid any and all moral or spiritual evaluation of any person or any situation. Uh, thinking about confronting a, a friend who's telling a big lie, remember what Jesus said judge not. Does this mean that we never judge 
anyone's behavior, ever. Now, the Bible has several ways to, to use the word judge, so you really have to understand the context to understand what Jesus is saying. For example, when President Kennedy made his famous speech in front of the Berlin Wall, his speechwriters thought it would be great if he would declare himself as a symbolic citizen of Berlin. So they inserted a German phrase, Ich bin ein Berliner, which meant to say, I am a Berliner. What his speechwriters didn't know is that a Berliner is also the name for German's favorite breakfast pastry. And so President Kennedy was calling himself a jelly-filled donut. <laughs> but of course, his audience knew what he meant to say because of the context. Same here. Jesus' audience would have understood by the context. Sometimes judge is used to speak of judging between two things, the act of differentiating or discerning. That's why we talk about judging between right and wrong, between good behavior and bad behavior, between righteous living and unrighteous living. Uh, but this kind of judgment, this sense of discernment is not what Jesus is commanding us to avoid. In fact, the Bible encourages us, uh, urges us to discern wisely. Uh, for example, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus talks about having the discernment to see the difference between good people and evil people. He compares them to trees. He say, says, good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit. Seeing that takes discernment. We have to judge. It's, it's judging things correctly, and of course, we do that all the time. As parents, we judge what friends we want our kids to hang out with. When I was in junior high, I started hanging out with a group of boys that I thought were pretty cool. But after a few weeks, my parents put an end to that. They told me I couldn't be friends with them anymore, and I was pretty angry. Who are they to tell me who I can be friends with? But I followed the rules, and so I stopped hanging out with them. Uh, my parents had found out that these boys were getting into trouble with the law, and they didn't want me to follow their example. I didn't know that. I just knew that they were cool, and I wanted to hang around with them. But my parents didn't want me to end up in jail, and so they judged their behavior. Sometimes we're to use this kind of discernment in the church. For example, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, uh, the church there was in a mess. And so Paul had to write in, in chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and a kind that is not found even among the pagans, for a man is living with his father's wife. In other words, with his stepmom. And Paul says, this is not right. I've already pronounced judgment on the man. Something needed to be done to try to save this Christian man from destroying his spiritual life. And so Paul judged him. If you would drop down a little bit farther, further in the verse, Paul would say, for what have I to do with judging those outside? It is not those who are inside that you're to judge. God will judge those outside. So it's not even our job to judge those outside the world or outside the church. That's God's job. 
So judgment as discernment is not the kind of judgment that Jesus is prohibiting here in, in our scripture. Judgment as condemnation is what Jesus is prohibiting. Uh, he makes that very clear in verse 37. He says, judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. He is using these, uh, uh, he, is, he is simply saying the same thing in, in two different ways. So Jesus is calling us not to condemn other people, not to pass final judgment, not to declare others irretrievably guilty. This is God's job uh, alone. And you can see this in Jesus' approach. Jesus' judgment was typically reserved for the religious elite, while always having open arms towards the broken and the hurt. Uh, we see this in John chapter 8. You are familiar with the story, the woman caught in adultery. Uh, Jesus is teaching in the temple in Jerusalem. And he is interrupted when some scribes and, and Pharisees uh, bring a, a woman before him and make her stand in front of the whole crowd. And they say to Jesus, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. The law commands us to stone her. What do you say? And they were absolutely right. The law does say that. Deuteronomy 22 verse 22 says, If a man is caught lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. Uh, the author of John's gospel lets us know that the religious leaders were not really interested in, in following the rules or, or in finding justice or in getting Jesus' comments on Scripture. They were only trying to trick him. And so here's this woman standing there, humiliated, Guilty, ashamed. Now, she has been caught big time in the act of, of breaking the rules, a, a big rule. And this rule may cost her her life. The religious leaders, they are waiting for an answer from Jesus. Uh, they know that they have caught him in, in a trap. And they're ready to hear him say, yep, you're right. That's what the rule says. But Jesus doesn't. He looks up at these spiritual leaders and he says to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. Jesus avoids the trap by making them look on their own guilt, which is where it should all start. And one by one, the Bible says, beginning with the oldest, they drop their stones and they walk away. Jesus is left alone with this woman. And Jesus, the perfect judge, tells the woman to abandon her self-destructive ways. He says, go and sin no more. We do that. Instead of loving people, we judge them. Instead of pulling for somebody, we criticize them. Rather than having understanding for the person who makes a mistake, we, we condemn them for not doing better. Rather than trying to help somebody get free from an addiction, we, we judge them. Rather than appreciate the many good things about a, a family member or a friend, we, we focus on one thing about them that we don't like. And what happens is it becomes a mindset. We find ourselves doing it on a regular basis. It leads to a dead end every time. Jesus says that if we set ourselves up as a judge of others, that one day we're going to be the ones who are judged. He says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So you see, a judgmental spirit loses sight of how badly we need grace in our lives each and every day. Jesus is teaching that if we show grace, we'll be shown grace. 
That if we give people mercy, we'll receive mercy. That if we judge people harshly, we will be judged harshly. That's the point of Jesus' teaching. Then Jesus goes on to illustrate his point by using humor. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Jesus' audience would have gotten the joke. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. You see, if we're not careful, we become experts in, in seeing and fixing everybody else's faults while we don't work on our own. But it's even more than that. We, we begin to magnify other people's faults. And so that little speck in your eye bugs the life out of me. That little idiosyncrasy that you have, it irritates me to death. All the time that I've got this two by four <laughs> sticking in my own eye. And so my judgmental spirit is a spirit that criticizes and judges people quickly and without grace. It's judging, it's jumping to judgments about people. It's having this critical spirit that sets itself up as a judge over other people. And Jesus says, this is a very serious thing. Jesus is saying, watch out, because this can destroy your spiritual life. I remember doing this once very badly. Mike and his family were members of my church. He and his wife had three children. One day, their 10-year-old son showed up on my front porch, which was curious because they lived about three or four miles out in the country. But we brought him inside, and we fed him lunch while I called his parents, but nobody answered, and this was the days before cell phones. And so I put him in my car, and I, I drove him out to their home, but nobody was there. And so we waited, and we waited, and we waited. Finally, the, the parents came home, and I was livid. I mean, what kind of parent would leave their 10-year-old son alone at home for an entire afternoon? Besides, it had wrecked my Saturday afternoon, and I had plans. And I'm sure that I reeked of disapproval as I explained why I was there at their home. And without even waiting for their response, I got in my car and I left. I was so mad. And I didn't see them at church for months. And the sad thing is that I didn't even care. I was so judgmental. Finally, three or four months later, I had the opportunity to talk and they explained to me the situation and it was an awful, awful mess. But now I, I understood their situation. Now I understood the circumstances. And I invited them back to church, and, and we reconciled, and they came. And what I discovered from that is that sometimes we just come to the wrong verdict. That sometimes we just don't have all the information, and we, we arrive at the wrong conclusion. You see, God's judgments are, are perfect, but guess what? Ours are not. And when Christians reach the wrong verdict, it's typically because of our own biases, because of our own prejudices, because of our own stereotypes about others. And I do that. I see somebody in a sweater vest, and I think, they must be a very nice person. <laughs> uh, I think I could be friends with them. 
Uh, one day I was interviewing a person and I was asking them about their day and they said, well, they, they got up at 10 o'clock and I was, first thing I thought was, well, that, they're lazy. I'm not going to hire somebody who gets up at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then they told me, well, they work till 2 a.m. And I changed my mind. I didn't have all the information. If you're old like I am, and you see somebody, a young person with tattoos and, and piercings and dyeing their hair an unconventional color, you probably make a judgment, don't you, about them. But remember when we were kids back in the 60s and our striped bell-bottom pants and our long hair and beards? I can remember some adults looking at me and shaking their heads in disapproval. See, we all do it. We come to the wrong verdict. And they feel misunderstood, and they feel wronged. And they're thinking, you don't really know me. You don't know about my life, and you don't really care. You're not really interested in me. Now, sometimes we do make the right verdict, but sometimes we, we just give it at the wrong time. I think we need to have wisdom to know when to give people feedback. I, I usually find it's always a mistake and, until they, unless they ask for it. You know, somebody asks for feedback, then I can give it to them. Sometimes we have the wrong motivation. The Bible teaches us that love is our only motivation. Uh, the accusers of the woman caught in adultery, they, they were motivated not by love. They were motiva motivated by hate to try to get Jesus to say the wrong thing and, and to destroy Jesus. They were, they were using this woman um, to make a political point. I think a favorite, our, our final mistake that we make is, is plain favorites. It's part of our human nature, isn't it, to show partiality? But the, the letter of James makes some strong words about it. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim that you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? James was saying favoritism is unloving. He reminds us that, that, that love is a kingdom principle. And then if I play favorites, I'm being unloving. He, he says, if you show favoritism, he says, you sin. See, that's the problem. It's unchristian. It's unreasonable. It's unloving. But more than that, it's a sin. And James gets very passionate about this. He says, no spiritual snobbery, no religious favoritism in the church. Jesus had to deal with this one day. He called Matthew a tax collector, despised tax collector, to be one of his disciples. And in gratitude, Matthew decides to, to throw a dinner party with Jesus uh, as a guest of honor. And, and he comes, and, and all the religious types, they come uh, along, and they see Jesus hanging out with these people. And they, they look down their noses, and they say, how can Jesus hang out with all this riffraff? And Jesus hears them. And he says, this is what I'm all about. This is whom I have come to help. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. So how do we change? Well, again, it begins with love and humility. I think one of the best ways that the devil keeps us neutralized is to, is to wrap us up in our, in our pride and our self-importance. 
I mean, would you be eager to, to hear the input, the feedback of a person who thinks that he or she is always right, who oftentimes gives, gives you an earful of unsolicited advice, and who does not seem particularly interested in your opinions? And we've got to realize uh, how kind, how, how tolerant, and how patient God is with us. And if we don't, if we can't see how, how kind that he has been uh, to us and given us time from, to turn from our sins, I don't think we understand the gospel. I find that most people are interested, uh, are open to, f- to feedback within the context of relationship and, and, and with respect. But the trouble is, is often our, our feedback without relationship seems like arrogance and pride. You see, that other person, they, they know that we're imperfect too. And they see us judging them with, with higher standards than what we would judge ourselves. And this is often true. See, I, I think we tend, at least I do, I tend to judge people by their actions, but I want to judge myself by my motivations. Oh, I meant well. You, you have to understand my heart. My heart was in the right place. And there's this double standard. You see, I think it's baffling to know how anyone can hear the story of Jesus dying in our place and, and rescuing us from helplessness and, and have it produce pride instead of humility. It should produce love and gratefulness or we clearly don't understand what the cross means. And I think we need to learn how to, to live in this tension of using good judgment but, but not being judgmental. Now, being non-judgmental does not mean people should do whatever they want or that they won't face any consequences. We love people always. But imparting wisdom into someone's life, that's not the same thing as judging them. And then lastly, we need to understand that the opposite of sin is not virtue. The opposite of sin is grace. And we should know that because we are flooded with it. Now, granted, some of my sin is is visible, but I have lots of secret sins as well. And I have no right to judge anyone. It's my job to love them and to point them to Jesus. You see, love is the opposite of judgmentalism. It it tempers our views. It it changes our attitudes and and our interactions. Many people will say that love has no agenda, but Jesus clearly says that love is the agenda. One of my favorite um, people in this community is police chief Tom Sinan. And the other day, one of his detectives was given the the Medal of Merit for helping a man in our community who had been scammed out of almost a million dollars. Well, one of the detectives got on the case. They they went after the culprits, and, and he got all the money back. Every penny that this man had been scammed from was returned to him. Amazing. Now, it's interesting that some people in the community thought that the man who had been scammed, the victim was the one to blame for being so dumb. But Chief Sinan wrote this on his Twitter feed. He said, do not judge others. Judgment does not bring answers. Understand that we all make mistakes because we're all human. Compassion for others during their difficult time 
always leads to a more successful outcome. Amen, chief. Amen. Do you want to remove the unhealthy judgmentalism that you have in regard to other people? Realize, folks, that's all grace. We all make mistakes. We're all sinners. We're all saved by the love of Christ. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and blow out of our hearts and out of our minds that spirit of judgmentalism, that critical spirit that is so quick to judge other people's behaviors while refusing to judge our own. Come and renew us, revive us, make us new people, fill us full of your love. Help us, Lord. Help us to be the people you want us to be. Amen.